If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be in verse 3. I kind of am uh, moving off of a uh, topic that we talked about last week. We talked about the attitude that Jesus had when he served and washed the disciples' feet. How many of you remember that? If you didn't, you know, that's a short memory. Anyhow, washing the disciples' feet and how he washed Judas' feet. You remember that? And then, then he says, you know, go do what you're going to do right after he washed Judas' feet. I had a lot of you go, wow, man. You know, I've never seen that. Never seen the fact that, that Jesus washed Judas' feet right before Judas betrayed him. And we talked about how that, that we as Christians had to be in all kinds of relationships and that we were to serve as Jesus served, even when we knew people were going to betray us or were betraying us. And, and maintaining the attitude that Jesus had in Scripture to, to serve and be in relationship with other people. And so this morning, what I decided to do was go ahead and just kind of spin off of that and, and grow in that and, and deal with, I think, one of the, uh, one of the hardest cultural issues that we face today. And you say, well, what is it? Is it, you know, is it, it has to be a sexual issue or it has to be a political issue, and, and, and it's not. It's actually a relational issue. It's actually an attitude issue that we have with, with um, not only our families but our coworkers in, in every aspect of life, in our driving skills, all those things. <laughs> this comes into play. And, and so... I'm, I'm titling it, I'm kind of coming at it from the side, I, I'm titling it Experiencing Life-Changing Worship. You know, we, we have great worship here. It's, it's a, it's, would you agree? Yeah. It's an it's amazing time of worship. But do you think we've reached the pinnacle of what God has for us here? I don't think we have either. We're not close. We're not close. So how do we have a worship experience that continues to grow and teach us more about who God is and just have these life-changing experiences. Do we change the atmosphere which which we're about to do? Do we add smoke and lights? <laughs> is that what's going to do it? Do, you know, do we pop up the sound system so that it drives us all to deafness at an early age? Do we increase the <laughs> as Michael said yes. Do we increase the talent level? You know, how do you you know how, how you know, is that going to do it? And the answer to all those, are, that's not it. That's not it. Does it have anything to do with it? Well, they're part of the congregation, but it has more to do with our posture. You know, if you really want life-changing experience, life-changing worship, you, you have to recognize the fact that it's everywhere you go. It starts in your home. You, you have to understand that God wants to change the atmosphere of your home. You can't be satisfied with the status quo at the house because God wants you to be transformed in his image and where that plays out the most are the relationships that are closest to it. Don't you know that God tests you the most with your husband or your wife or your children? I mean, isn't that where the test comes in? Everybody say Amen. Turn to the person, if you're married to your left or right, and say, you're the test. You're the test. Yeah. You're it. You're God's test. <laughs> oh, that's funny. 
How many would agree with me that it's the presence of Jesus that actually brings life-changing experiences? It's the presence of Jesus. There are some incredible promises in the Bible about the presence of Jesus coming upon the congregation who are unified in spirit. You know, I love the song that we sang just a minute ago, Michael, when we sang, Praise the Lord, O My Soul. It's the closest scripture this is not in the notes. This is the closest thing in Scripture that says, <clears throat> I'm going to act my way into a feeling. It, it is the closest thing that I can find in Scripture that says, I'm going to act my way into a feeling. In other words, I don't feel like doing it. That, you know, it there, there's everything in my life is going opposite of what this is, and I'm going to act my way into a feeling. I'm going to do something even though I don't feel like it. That's what that, that psalm is written about. It's saying, Get in line, line up soul, and do what you ought to be doing. Begin to respond to God like you're supposed to so that I can actually get health in this situation. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Do it. Do it now and do it quickly <laughs> before I suffocate in my misery. Yes? It's a, it's a command to the soul. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, when we think about being unified, it's one of the most powerful scriptures that we're going to read. And if we would write it and put it on our dashboard in our car, put it in the mirror, put it on your desktop, it would be a scripture that is so countercultural today that you, you're, you're going to look weird everywhere you go, but you're going to show off and show up. And what you're going to show off is the nature and the character of God. Because he says this. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility and lowliness of mind. Let each of you esteem others better than themselves. Let's read that out loud together. Let nothing be done. Loudly. Let's do it again. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. <laughs> Somebody just told their wife or herself. I won't point you out, Michael. That that's that, that wasn't him. No, no, that was that was Jason. <laughs> that wasn't Jason. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just keeping going. It's somewhere right in here. It was you, and you're not even married. <laughs> Tough scripture, isn't it? Get your mind off yourself and start valuing others more than you value yourself. Honor people. Jesus did it. He modeled it. When we, talk, when we talk about unity, there's no way to bring unity to a situation unless we get this scripture right. You can't have unity lest you value somebody more than you value yourself. And there's, there's a unifying front that, that comes with incredible promises in scripture that, we, that we've got to grab a hold of today. And that unifying front is this. We can be unified on one thing, and that is 
that if it's in the scripture, if it's a theme, not taking an individual scripture out of context and coming up with some squirrely way of looking at life, but actually taking the whole of scripture, dividing it correctly, and coming up with an attitude that God expects us to live even in 2018. That it's not this old way of living or old way of thinking, that you have a modern day of thinking that actually works and that if it is all through Scripture that we can be united on this thing, we're all broken, but we're all subject to the Word of God. And if I see it in it, I'm going to submit myself to what it says and allow the Spirit of God to begin the transformation process in my life. If we can be unified or a large group of us be unified in this, if God says it, I'm going to do it. If God points it out, I'm going to do it. And I recognize that I have many, many, many areas in my life that need revelation, that need God's light to shine on it so that I can be transformed into His image. And one of them is this, that I can say all day long that I value you as much as I do myself. But my actions really speak way louder than my words. You know, the Pharisees were really good at washing themselves on the outside. But when it came to doing what was right, when they were pressed, they killed the Savior. It's so hard sometimes to actually carry out the nature and character of God. Matter of fact, it's absolutely impossible to do without the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's called grace. It's the grace of God. And so I've got to get my eyes off myself and begin to value people and understand that there's a unifying force that, that, that in the body of Christ will bring us to a place, not only as families, but as a family of God that we can experience life-changing uh, worship. And so, number one is this. There is power in unity as we worship. There's power in unity, and that unity is, if God says it, we're going to do it. I'm subject to the Word of God. I'm unified in that. I can be different in the way I think. I can be a Democrat. I can be a Republican. I can have different ideology as long as it doesn't contradict scripture and if i can rally around the idea that i'm going to embrace what god says and become what he says become that unifying force brings a promise that we're about to see in hebrews it's absolutely amazing so let's look at the power of unity as we worship matthew chapter 5 verse 23 and 24 says this therefore if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You know, Scripture tells us that we as believers are supposed to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And so what he's saying is, it's so important that unity be in the body of Christ. That what you need to do, don't everybody get up and leave yet and go reconcile with your brother. Wait till I finish the message and then you can go do it. But don't, don't come in here with 
with disunity and discord. Don't offer your worship to God. Don't offer yourself to God when you've got something against your brother. Stop. Go get right and then come back and offer yourself a living sacrifice. Do you think Jesus thought it was important to be in unity in the church? If we really want to see and experience life-changing worship, we're going to have to focus on the needs and the, and the, uh, the wants and the everything about other people as much as we think about it ourselves. And we've got to make sure that we're right with the people that we love or the people we come in contact with or the people in the church. You can't have ought against your brother in the church and expect life-changing worship. It's just not going to happen. But unity brings that power. Psalm 133, verses 1 through 3. Let's read it. Let's read it out loud together. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard. The beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This passage of scripture is just saying this. You get in unity, and I'm going to pour out on you. Unity brings the pouring out of God on the body of believers. Unity in spirit. Valuing one another more than you value yourself. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. It says this. Let's read it out loud. I like this reading out loud thing together. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Now that scripture has a lot more to it than what is normally taught. Normally what is taught with this particular passage of scripture is that it's about prayer. And it includes prayer, but it's much more than that. There's this gathering together in unity. And there's this agreement. And it says that if we agree... Uh, the Amplified Version actually says harmonize, make a symphony together. If you come together and you are making beautiful music, if there's no discord, you know that's where discord comes from? If there's no disunity, if you come in together in like-mindedness where Jesus is at the forefront and what he says and how he says to become, as you become him, and as you're focused on him together in unity, then there's this outpouring, there's this thing that's going to happen. Heaven is going to come down. For where two or three are gathered together in his name, it's not just about us coming together as a church. It's not just about this room being filled with people. It's about the unity that's in the room. So we can sing all day long, but life-changing experiencing that life-changing worship doesn't happen unless you're in unity. Because when you are in unity, 
God says, I'm going to pour over you like I've done in the past. I'm going to come, and I'm going to change your life. You're going to be healed. Your soul's going to be healed. Your body's going to be healed. You're going to be physically healed. Your relationships are going to be healed. Your emotions are going to be healed. I'm going to pour over you like the oil being poured over Aaron. It's going to be a symphony, and it's going to be beautiful. But here's the part that I want you to see. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, it is referring to and quoting uh, a passage that is referring to Jesus actually being in our midst. It says this, For both he who sanctifies Jesus and those who are being sanctified are all one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brothers saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. This passage of Scripture says that Jesus will come and join us and sing praises to the Father on your behalf when there's unity. There's no substitute. Nothing else can bring it. Just unity. Unity is not something that is an outward thing. Jesus said about the Pharisees, you've You've, you've washed yourself on the outside. You've cleaned yourself up. You come to church. You look all good. Somebody asks you, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? You've cleaned yourself up. But inside your heart, you still have odds against people. You still have relationships that, that aren't right. You still have attitudes toward things that, that don't look like Jesus. And because of that, because of that, my presence isn't as strong as it wants to be. There's disunity. The Pharisees, they used to walk around and they seemed like they were in great peace. You know, they, they, they wore these things on their head that, you know, reminded them that the scripture was supposed to be on the forefront of their mind and they had nice white clothing, and some were even arrayed, depending on how high up the chain they were. They even looked more holy. But when, there was, when they were called out, when they were squeezed for what they believed, when there was disagreement with them, they smashed it to the point where they killed the Savior. It doesn't matter what the outside looks like. It matters what the inside is. So here's the challenge. And this is kind of funny. <laughs> I thought of it. I said, you're not going to use that. And the Lord says, yes, you are, because you need it, Pastor. <laughs> so when you're driving tomorrow, <laughs> I'm serious as I can be. 
it shows you what's really on the inside. Do you, you, you know everybody's angry in the world, right? Well, road rage is like crazy. Suicide is the same. 30% more suicides now than before. Angry with themselves, hate themselves, loathing. There's something going on that's absolutely outside of the ways and the things of God. And if you are driving and you are incredibly selfish in your driving habit, it might be a sign that you might need to be working on some things when it comes to honoring people more than yourself. I just hit everybody in the stinking room with that right there. Isn't that the truth? And we can see it. Now the question is, are we going to deal with it? The question is, are we going to cover it up? Or are we going to actually begin to practice it? Jesus places an incredible priority on this unity thing. So the first thing that we need to notice is that unity brings power and worship. And then secondly, Jesus places a tremendous priority on unity. This is what he says about it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. He says this, for if you forgive men their trespasses, <laughs> your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you of your trespasses. Do you think it is a prerequisite to forgive? And to honor and to bring unity? I think the answer is yes. And so unity is a lifestyle, not just a religious cover. It's not false humility. King David is a great example. King David was anointed king at around 14, maybe 12, 12 or 14 years old by Samuel. Samuel goes out, anoints King David king. King David was chased by Saul for over 10 years, lived in caves as the king of Israel. Saul, when he saw him, he would call him in and ask him to, to, to lead worship, and he'd lead worship with Saul, and, the, and, he, and, and the, the, the evil spirit that God put upon Saul, which is an interesting thought. We won't talk about today. I just want to stir you up. Would calm. But then it would raise itself up again, and Saul would grab a spear or something, and he would throw at David. And he would try to kill David. He would chase David. And to the point that David actually caught him in a cave using the bathroom. It's in Scripture. Look it up. Cuts off the bottom of his robe. Just to show him that he was in the room. Apologizes. Saul for doing so, but wanted to say, listen, if I wanted to take your life, I could have. What, what I don't want to do is be at odds with you. I don't care how much you hate me. I don't care how much you treat me bad. I don't care how many times you falsely accuse me. I'm not going to respond with the same thing that you're giving me. I'm going to respond to, to you in a way that would please the Lord. 
he had every right to kill Saul. Saul's trying to commit murder. It was self-defense. At any time along the way, David could have killed Saul in self-defense. But he said to himself, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. When we start thinking about those who lie about us, everybody has people like that. They think they know you, but they really don't. They have compartmentalized you in some kind of area, either a way of thinking or a way of doing or maybe a habit or maybe they've limited you. They said you can only do so much. And, and you, you feel somehow caged in by them or, or accused or, or somehow controlled by them. And, and you have great bitterness and resentment towards them. And that in itself keeps you in a place that you can't experience the presence of the Lord like he wants you to experience the presence of God. Because he wants you to forgive them. And as you do, when we come together and here in a corporate setting, we're going to experience a life-changing worship like we've never experienced before. If we want to kick up worship, we've got to come, become a people, not only that forgive people in this congregation of believers, which we need to do, but we've got to, we've got to forgive family members that have wronged us. And they could have done some horrible wrongs. But we've got to forgive them. And we've got to pray for them that they would have revelation of a Savior. And they would come to a saving knowledge of God so that they could experience the fullness of God. And when our heart is that way towards them, when they've wronged us, then we have the potential to experience a life-changing worship that will blow our minds. But there's no substitute. That unity comes from aligning ourselves with the ways of God, not only in here, but in the workplace, in our families, and in every relationship we have. So who is it that you need to forgive? Who is it that you harbor bitterness towards? Who is it that you've got in prison? Now, I'm not saying don't establish boundaries, and I'm not saying that you have to agree with them. I'm just saying that you have to want the best for them. I'm saying you have to want them to want a Savior. I'm saying that God purposed them before the foundation of the world to choose him. And you've got to pray that in for them, no matter what they're, how they're acting out. And whether they do or not is between them and God. But your posture and position is this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that Jesus came 
so that everyone would be saved. Will everyone be saved? No. But his will is that they are. And so if that's his will, unity says, I'm going to align with the word of God in every place in my life that they, God brings revelation that I'm not aligned, I'm going to begin to adjust. And this is a place, a huge place of adjustment in our culture. And there's not a w- w- person in the place, starting with the pastor, that doesn't need the adjust, to adjust the whole idea of I honor Michael Wallace as much as I honor myself. That I honor people that I don't know as much as I do myself. People who have said bad things about me or about Eastside. I'm going to honor them as much as I do myself. When I get in that posture, when I get in that position, I am secure in who God made me. I am so secure in who I am in Christ that they can't touch me because I'm aligned with the Word of God. And when I get there, watch out. I'm about to experience life-changing power in worship. I can come to the altar, and I can say, Lord, I'm free. Who the Son has set free is free indeed. I'm free. I'm free of all bondage. Nobody can put anything on me because I don't believe what anybody says about me except you. Soul, you start praising the Lord. Soul, you start lining up. Your mind, your will, your emotions, line up with the word of God. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to start praying for that has wronged you? Who do you need to pray for that they would receive the revelation of God and not harbor bitterness or unforgiveness. God will bring you people. If you'll really ask him, (laughs) he will knock you out with people. You might need to get a pen and a piece of paper. He'll he'll make you a prayer list. Amen? Amen? Why don't we stand together? Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says this. Let's read it out loud. Let's read it together. This is good. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. That's the life of a believer. We're not accusers. We're reconcilers. Say that with me. I'm not an accuser. I'm I'm a reconciler. reconciler. I don't cause problems. I I redeem them. them. Yeah. 
Father, as we come to you wide open today, honest and bare, I can go down to hell and there you are. I can go to the top of the mountain and there you are. I can go as far west and as far east and there you are. I'm laid naked before you. You know my heart. You know what goes through my mind and you know my pain and my hurt. You know my struggle. And so I can't hide from you, God. And so I quit acting like I can. And I want to rightly represent you, Lord. By being someone who reconciles and redeems. Who brings creative solutions to problems that are bigger than people seem to be able to handle. That I bring forgiveness in situations, Lord, that seem unforgivable. That no matter how people try to kill, steal, and destroy from me, God, I'm going to be one who brings peace. Lord Jesus, we want you worshiping with us. We want you in our midst. We want you declaring the goodness and the promises of God over us, your brothers. So this pastor refuses to harbor bitterness or unforgiveness. I stand before you today, oh God, and I ask you to transform my heart. You said in your word, Lord, that your grace is sufficient for me. That your power at work within me can do exceedingly abundantly above what I could imagine or think. And for me to honor somebody as much as I honor myself, Lord, is going to take your grace. Especially those that have offended me. And so I ask you, Lord, that we represent you well. That we wash the Judas's feet. Those that betray us. die for those and we serve those who need you most we offer ourselves a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to you God I thank you for your transformation power and Lord as we go out today (laughs) we're going to get seven solid days to practice pray that every moment we're aware of the opportunity to practice. I thank you for that. I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen.